Welcome to Business Unmuted, sponsored by Virtue Motors, one of the UK's largest motor retailers. Check out its website at virtuemotors.com. I'm Graham Robb and I've owned Recognition PR for nearly 35 years. We've got more than 70 clients across multiple sectors in the UK. They have a turnover of £6 billion and employ around 30,000 staff. So we are at the front line of the business community and it's a great place from which to discuss the economy. And in the studio today, I've got Ian Dormer, CBE, Director at Roche Engineering, who works in the power engineering sector, as well as being former National Chairman of the Institute of Directors. Down the line, we've Alice McCulloch, who's Director at Rose Dean, a nursery provider with 10 settings across the Tees Valley and North Yorkshire. And joining us all the way from the USA is Chelsea Newmeyer, who is a podcaster and a productivity and time management coach who specialises in working with small businesses. Thank you all for joining me. I'm going straight to you, Ian. Today in the economy was a big bit of news that caused everyone to sort of blink and say, what? And that was that inflation went up when everyone said it was going to go down. What was your take on that? It just shows what an unpredictable world we're all in. And no business likes unpredictability. We like stability. We like to be able to predict. A lot of the contracts that we work on, we bid for two or three year contracts. We like to have a nice, stable, even playing field. We don't have that at the moment. So it is quite scary. Yeah. Now, you uh, work in industry. It's an industrial kind of setting, engineering and so on. So pay, recruitment and stability are clearly important because I should imagine that a lot of your clients are going to be asking for long-term commitments. They are. And that's something that we like because that helps us invest and develop and grow the business. But equally, I've got a huge amount of sympathy for the Bank of England in terms of its interest rate decision this week. Because, of course, the sort of tools that they have to control the economy don't they, they, they don't turn them on and off. They can have many, many months of time lag. So, of course, with all these sort of unpredictable factors within the market, we're not going to be in a stable mm. environment probably for many months to come. So we're all in the same boat. Do you know, my sympathy with the Bank of England is muted. And I'll tell you why. We run in the, in the northeast and in Yorkshire uh, in association with an accountancy firm, a shadow MPC. And smaller businesses like my own are represented on this Shadow Monetary Policy Committee. And way back in May 2021, we were saying the Bank of England should have put interest rates up because we could see inflation. The Bank of England sat on its hands and the MPC did nothing. And now it's playing catch up. And the same is true of the Fed. Uh, in America. It was too little, too late on interest rates and now we've got this big inflation problem and inflation uh, interest rates going up and up. So what do you think the shadow MPC says we should be doing now? Well, That's the big I, question. I, well, I, well, the first thing is I, I think, uh, my view, and I wonder what your view, if you were on the real MPC tomorrow, would you in the today's news about inflation vote to put it up? I think I might. What would you do? I probably would, but only by a small amount. Oh, yeah, fraction. The, the, the trouble is, we have at the minute, of course, there's a lot of businesses are now starting to sweat because they've been so used to very low interest rates for so long yeah, yeah. that anybody that's carrying debt, I mean, I've always been extraordinarily cautious. Sometimes I probably wish I had stretched myself a little bit more, taken on debts so could grow. But now I'm thinking, no, I'm rather happy because I'm not affected by the, in fact, actually, I've got savings, by. probably. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We're gaining money from it. But at the end of the day, there are some businesses out there, and I don't want my suppliers to go under. I don't want any other businesses to go under just because they can't afford their debt repayments. So it is a scary time. I like stability. That's what I really like. But inflation is the, is the worst. Yep. It's the cruel 
quiet thief. It'll steal your savings, it'll destroy your jobs. So we can't really ignore that, can we? Do you know what? We had a board meeting just last week where we actually tried to look at our pay rises. And we thought we'd got it bottomed out. We could see that inflation was coming down. We thought we'd had that very difficult line between making sure that we satisfied all of our staff's needs, because they do have needs. They need to pay their bills, but at the same time, not give such a high pay rise that we're going to be uncompetitive. It's a delicate balance. Yeah. I thought we'd hit it right with all of the media frenzy around this. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, I'm thinking, have we? Yeah, and I, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, it is a very difficult measure to have. I, I'm facing it myself in a smaller business than yours. Tell me one more thing before we move on to our next uh, guest. Do you think, uh, I'll state this is my view, see if you yeah. agree. The Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee is made up of a group of experts, Not nothing wrong with being an expert, but they're drawn from a pool of people who don't really experience the economy in the same way as you and I do. Here we are, northern business people. It's economists from the big world banks. It's academics. It's bankers in central banking. Do they need just maybe a noise or voice off? Uh, do you know what? I'm going I'm to sit back and say, uh, there's one old saying that I love about this, is that they said that economists were invented to make weather forecasters look good. <laughs> yes. And that, I think, is the challenge. It is not easy predicting the economy because there are so many conflicting factors coming into the equation. So, no, I have sympathy for them. It's not easy. OK. Well, Ian, stay there. We'll come yep. to the end of the discussion. I want to introduce our guests. Uh, and the next is Chelsea Neumeyer. Chelsea, you're watching us from America. And and you just heard Ian talking about pay, and you've heard me talking about the economy in Britain. Now, we're not whinging because it's not that bad. Inflation wouldn't be going up if the economy was weak, would it? But the key to this issue for businesses, particularly small businesses, is surely productivity. You're a productivity specialist. Do you see that there's more demand for more productivity from business owners? Yeah, I think especially in the small business world, we're all already trying to do more with less. And so as what I'm seeing again from the online space and what I'm hearing from clients is really thinking about how they can get the resources that they need, start outsourcing, start help getting the help that they need with all of the costs, um, with inflation happening, with costs increasing. So you're... Uh, clients and the people you advise do tend to be in the smaller business space. Are there any immediate things that businesses should encourage both their owners and their staff to look at to make sure that those productivity gains are wrapped up? The, 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 the easy low-hanging fruit, what is it? So I have built my business and when I work with all my clients, it's really built under the foundation of productivity as personal. And so one of the benefits of having hybrid or remote work situations is that it allows people, it allows workers to create an environment that best supports their personal productivity, how they like to work, the structures that they need to feel confident and comfortable and trusted in their job. So for business owners, it's really important to think about how they can support their employees, how they can provide them with a really high value experience, how they can give them the trust and the tools that they need to get the work done at a pace and at a cadence that makes sense for them, that's going to work best for them, while obviously having the high enough output, output and hitting the goals that they need to in the business. 
you talked about trust and so on. Uh, in measuring uh, people's productivity or people being allowed to measure their own productivity, are we the best judge of it? Or do we get into bad habits? I mean, I think about my own business life, which is, I suppose, white collar, it's, 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 it's a know-how kind of business, PR and so on. Um, I quite often rely on my own to-do lists. And I'm, do I triage my to-do list well enough? Do I make my to-do list contemporary enough? What, what kind of things do you advise on that? Sure. So again, it, I mostly work with people who are entrepreneurs or solo entrepreneurs. So you're your own boss, which is a whole other challenge when it comes to productivity because you don't have someone looking over your shoulder. If something doesn't get done, you're the only person who's really going to see the impact of that. So it's it's important to kind of differentiate the two. If you are a small business owner, again, it's really making sure that your employees understand what are the metrics, what are the goals and expectations that they have every day, every week, but then giving them the, the time and space to figure out how to get there themselves, how to get those goals done themselves. When it comes to personal productivity, I think it's really about making sure that whatever is on that top list, your priorities are helping you reach your goals. And that sounds very quip and that sounds very uh, kind of cliche to say, but at the end of the day, we need to be making money. And so really making sure that we're focusing on those money-making activities as a top priority is gonna make the most impact in your business. By the way, on my to-do list, I, I, I always try and do the hard stuff first. The easy stuff is t- it's tempting to say, well, I've got to phone that. If I had to, if, if e- phoning Ian was on my to-do list, then it would be tempting to phone him first because we're old friends and it'd be great. But actually, it wouldn't be hard. And perhaps the hard things need to be done first. Yeah, it's it, there's two, two approaches I like to talk about when I talk about productivity. And there's either that eat the frog, approach, right? That do that hard thing first and get that off your list, get it done right away first thing. Or I'm more of a ramp up kind of person. I'm Uh, not a morning person actually. So I like to have a few of those easier or more enjoyable tasks. I said about an hour, give myself a little bit of a ramp up time. But again, this is all coming back to productivity as personal. So making sure that you recognize what's going to work best for you and then building your schedule and your to-do list accordingly. Now, I've I've noticed in my own working life, uh, particularly I quite often deal with the uh, the senior management of larger organisations, and it's nuanced stuff I'm doing. And I find that they want to have those conversations at either end of the day. So I, I end up de- dealing with conversations with senior leaders either at seven in the morning or at nine at night. Um, now I don't mind that personally, I'm used to it. But if you were saying to a staff in, that, in an environment I'm in that you should do that, that, that can quite often great. But sometimes your productivity has to fit in with your customers, doesn't it? Absolutely. And so, again, I work mostly with online business owners, with small business owners. And kind of the benefit of that is we get to decide what that looks like, right? We get to decide clients that are going to also match our cadence and, and the deadlines that we set for ourselves. If you're in a situation like yours where your time isn't necessarily your own, where you do have to report up into someone else. I think it's really just about establishing that culture within the team and within the office, right? If your boss sends you an email at nine o'clock at night, 
are you expected to respond right away? Mm-hmm. And, or do you have a 24 hour turnaround time? And so making sure that when you're talking with your staff or with your team, just being really clear about what those communication expectations are so that you don't have a stressed, anxious team that feels like they need to be on their toes all the time, that feels like they need to respond at at any given moment. That's very helpful. Now, tell me about uh, some of the software that you tend to use or recommend uh, for helping time management or productivity management. Sure. So this is where I... I'm a very old school kind of person. I actually am. A, I predominantly use paper and pen. Um, but there's I'm, some, I'm so I'm, glad to hear that. No, let's take a pause. <gasps> uh, I, I, we're, I, look at, we're all yeah, <laughs> but I'm not that because I'm that age. I actually like the idea of a paper. I think that's fantastic to hear you Absolutely. say that. I'm My, brilliant. I've got a guru from America ag- agrees that that's brilliant. <laughs> So again, for me, I just come back to that phrase of it's what's going to work best for you. And I don't, I've tried so many times to set up digital time management productivity tools. There are some incredible options out there. Asana, ClickUp, Monday, these are big names that are incredibly powerful tools. And I have set them all up and then immediately abandoned them because I look just like paper and pen. I, I agree with you. In fact, I, I'm looking in the control room of our studio here and there's one of my guys who has to work on Asana for one of our clients and I, I think he was slightly nodding on that. Um, we, we also, in our business, we've even though all of our material is computerized and digitized, I still have whiteboards around the office so we can see where the jobs are. Um, it might be a bit old fashioned and sometimes I feel as though I'm out of the arc, but it's nice to hear it. Um, the, the issue of productivity, um, I've raised, and has raised as an actual issue. Um, You're a productivity coach. Do you see this as rearing its head in American business? Is productivity on the top tier of business concerns? So I think it really comes down to, again, making sure that whatever system a team builds can support the goals of the organization and also the team that's being built, right? And going back to how you can best support that team. I don't see it as a as a huge concern right now. Again, when I'm talking with my clients, I think what they're thinking the most about is really, again, making sure that it's that, that personalized systems and structures that they can create for themselves. And so when we're in this like hybrid remote options, many cities are showing that productivity increases when people are allowed to work from home, when they're allowed to um, work without distractions in an environment that's comfortable for them and at times that work best for them. Kind of going back to that, are you a morning person or a night person, right? Are you allowed to have that flexibility in your day? Chelsea, one thing I did want to ask you, because I think our viewers would be quite interested in this, you are demonstrating the validity of this hybrid model because you are working from home, but you're working from somewhere that's very remote. I'll just take a moment for let you can tell people why you're there and, and, and how, you, how you actually accomplish your tasks by being there. Sure. So I'm actually, my husband's in the Navy, and so we are currently stationed in Guantanamo Bay Naval Base in Cuba. It's been an absolutely incredible experience, although I will say that, unfortunately, we don't get to actually visit the country very much. We're we're pretty isolated on our base, but it's still absolutely beautiful here. And I, I am so grateful for the hybrid and remote working options now because I actually also work as a nonprofit consultant, as a contractor, and I'm able to serve all of those clients 
remotely as well. And so being able to work with people all over the country and all over the world is so incredibly powerful and has taken some practice, but that's how I support my clients as well. Chelsea, I'm gonna leave with this interview by just asking you to tell us the product that you could offer to a small business in the UK. How would they work with you? Sure. So I offer coaching for individuals and for teams. And again, it's coming back to that. We don't often dedicate time to thinking about how we spend our time. So when you work with someone like me, you're just you're thinking about it and being incredibly intentional about how we're spending every minute of the day. All right. Well, just for people to remember, it's Chelsea Newmeyer. I looked you up on the Internet. I instantly found videos of you by Googling you. So that certainly shows that you're right up there with that wonderful name. Uh, and I hope you do get some uh, some work from uh, the UK. Thank you. We'll come back to you in a moment. Uh, now, our next guest is Alice McCulloch. Now, Alice knows Rishi Sunak. There's Rishi Sunak visiting her business premises in our local paper in the northeast of England because Alex is a director of Rose Dean Nurseries with 10 settings uh, across the north of England. Alice, um, thank you for joining us. Last week in the UK budget, the government introduced new childcare arrangements that are going to be phased in with a view to getting working people back into the workplace sooner after the birth of a child than it's otherwise possible. Uh, and the idea would be in due course, at aged nine months, the government will pay for 30 hours free childcare so that someone we can go back into the workplace. What was your view on that policy announcement? Well, Graham, the headline announcement from the government was this huge injection of four billion pounds into the sector. And like you said, um, getting working parents um, back to work quicker by offering this 30 hours free childcare. So we have to recognise that it is a major childcare policy reform uh, and one that we'd all been crying out for for a long time. Um, However, Without sounding like an ungrateful child, uh, there's a lot of problems with the reform set out by the Chancellor. And it's really important to understand the context of the earlier sector at the moment, which is in a crisis. And um, it's facing some of the biggest challenges that we've seen for decades. Um, and you know we've seen record numbers of earlier settings close in uh, 2021 to 22, actually 5,000 nursery providers closed. And we're heavily underfunded by the government already. Um, and consequently, we're in a, a recruitment and a retention crisis. And the fundamental problem is that the funding just doesn't add up at all. Um, the government already offers what it calls free childcare for two, uh, three and four year olds. Um, and uh, the subsidy that it gives us as childcare providers just doesn't cover the costs. Um, and I can give you an example of what's happened this year um, with, with our business. Um, you know, the government uh, funding that we receive um, per child um, is actually two pounds short uh, per hour for the cost um, that it costs us as a provider to deliver that care. And obviously, as we've discussed, inflation has gone up 10%, um, wage increase has gone up 10%, um, and the government funded money went up 2%. Uh, that it was giving us uh, for that childcare per hour. Um, and now with the announcement that Jeremy Hunt um, gave us uh, this this week, you know, more uh, funded places for parents, um, 
you know, it doesn't come with the adequate funding, um, you know, that's needed to deliver that care. So it's going to simply push up the demand without increasing the supply or the infrastructure in place to deliver that care. Now, there is a, a slight pushback on this point, which is that as well as the government offering the parents the free childcare, the government has offered the sector two other things. First, a £500 uh, effectively tax credit that will allow you to attract people into the sector and give them a £500 golden hello. And the second, to change the regulations so that the number of children cared for was five to one instead of four to one. Do those not make any difference to your cost base? Um, so, in terms of uh, the point on um, the childcare ratios, uh, this was actually something that was floated last year, and um, the sector, uh, while uh, kind of pulled together and and actually fully opposed the ratio relax relaxation because except um, all in Scotland, going- where it already happens. Say again, sorry, Graham. But not in Scotland because Scotland already has that ratio, doesn't it? Uh, yes, it does. It does. But I mean, I think in reality, you. Uh, so what it is is, is is you'll have two members of of, of the team looking after ten two year olds, and um, if you if you try to look after ten two year olds, one of those will be changing nappies most of the time, and that gives one person uh, the opportunity to try and look after nine two year olds, and all it's going to do is dilute the quality of of the education. Um, that we provide and you know at Rose Dean we personally you know are not going to support the ratios they are optional um, it is uh, an attempt to reduce the uh, the wage costs um, but uh, it's just simply not going to deliver the support you know with COVID we've seen a huge amount um, of children need, needing uh, additional support needing one-to-one care and um, you know this is just simply not a step forward um, in, in the education that we should be providing to uh, the future of our, our society. What about the £500 introductory grant? The golden hello? Um, so I think that's definitely going to support um, and um, you know people that are on universal credit and that funding's increased by 50% um, so this is something that has been a big ask and, and yeah we were very grateful uh, for that and it's definitely going to help support um, getting um, parents back into work. Uh, so Yes, I think uh, there are some positive elements. And and like we said, there's been a huge um, kind of transformation in the sector. But uh, because we're already in such a mess, we are going to need better funding uh, for that funded childcare in order to deliver on these promises. Okay, Alice, I think we've heard that point now loud and clear, well delivered. But I I also want to reinforce the people viewing that that your nursery school uh, provider is exemplary you are busy you're full you're the first choice for many parents in fact during the lockdown you delivered in the northeast of england childcare for the essential workers didn't you yes we did and uh, it seems like a, a long time ago now three um, years lot- three years tomorrow wow the 23rd three years tomorrow the lockdown 
Yeah. And, you know, incredibly proud of the team, you know, that we all still still have, uh, you know, Rose Dean very, we're lucky that we're a longstanding, strong family business. Mm. And during COVID, uh, we were able to um, set up hubs uh, throughout the four local authority areas that we operate. And we offered 24 hour childcare. And, um, you know, we were able to support our families, we were able to support our employees. And, uh, you know, we've, we've got a strong team in place to help rise you know these peaks and troughs that we're going through and we've come out stronger on the other side so you know we're really lucky and um we're fully aware that there's more tough times ahead but uh, hopefully we're uh, we're in a good place to ride the storm again just to conclude and maybe this is part i don't know the answer to this question it might be positive might not be although you've had some uh you know quite uh, strident criticism of the implementation of this scheme and you welcome the scheme generally do you think that you will be participating in it albeit you may not be offering as many places as the government may wish uh i think we're still waiting for answers on how the funding is going to be shared out. We're not going to see it fully materialised until 2025. Um, So it's going to be in staged approaches. Uh, We're constantly monitoring and adapting, um, you know, the way that we're operating. It's difficult to drive efficiencies in childcare because of uh, the ratios and it simply just kind of dilutes the quality of care. Um, But um, I think, uh, yeah, we uh, we obviously do want to, to support and uh, as many parents as possible and offer these funded places. Um, but we do also rely on private care uh, mm. to keep the business um, intact. Yes, that 31st hour will be a private hour, won't it? All right, Alice, thank you. Uh, just let me wrap up by going back to Ian and to Chelsea. By the way, Chelsea, the, the idea of free nursery care for uh, preschool children, does that happen anywhere in the US? No, I, I don't honestly don't know quite know the answer. I don't have children no. yet. I, <laughs> but um, I know that it's something that I talk often with about my colleagues and coworkers and others in this space, just because it is so, it's unaffordable for most families, um, and so trying to come up with solutions to that is is a really really important topic. But childcare clearly is an issue across the Western world to get Absolutely. participation in the workforce at an early stage. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. The one thing that strikes me, you and I have been in business a long time, and when we were starting in business, the government's funding of education was actually biased towards the older age. You were still getting uh, people being funded entirely to go to university together with maintenance grants when I started. That's all, well not all, but quite a lot of it has gone. The university students don't get that kind of support now and it's moved down towards where Alice is operating at nursery. It strikes me that's probably the better use of the resource. I was going to say at the end of the day if you don't get your saplings sorted and right and get that capacity to, that that lust to learn and and to develop then you're going to not going to grow as many uh, decent plants, are you? So yeah. that's that's so important. I mean, early stage education is 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 absolutely, completely and utterly under um, uh, underappreciated, I mm. think, in, in terms of what we do in our in our world. Well, on that very convivial note, because we all agree on that, I think we'll wrap it up. Chelsea, Alice, Ian. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for joining me on Business Unmuted. Join us again next week. By the way, in a few weeks' time, when we approach our 100th episode, we're going to be renaming the programme away from Business Unmuted to Northern Business Podcast. Watch this space. Take care.